Romans chapter 8, entitled Life Through the Spirit. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind Governed by the flesh is death, but the mind, governed by the spirit, is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realms of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject, subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life through, because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Apologies, I do sound like a teenage boy this morning. It's what happens these days when I get a cold. My voice goes croaky as if it's going to break. I assure you it has broken some time ago. So please bear with me. Um, I like watching uh, David Attenborough programs. I find uh, his commentary on the natural world frustrating, but uh, he's got a super eye for detail. I love, I don't mean to make your skin crawl too much, I quite like snakes. Snakes fascinate me. One thing about snakes that fascinate me is the ability, there's a picture up here, for them to dislocate their jaw. You ever seen something like this? They're phenomenal creatures that God has made. They can dislocate their jaw a bit like a teenage boy uh, as they eat Sunday lunch so they can consume vast quantities more than their body weight. And so here we have uh, a snake of some sort engorging itself in a massive egg. There are other photos on the tinterweb that can always be trusted of snakes dislocating their jaws and eating deer, trying to eat deers and stuff like that. Just look at it, probably after you've eaten, and not in the dark, unless you have bad dreams and blame me. But um, the reason I wanted to take you to a picture like this of a snake dislocating its jaw, taking on something that's too big for itself, is because that's exactly how I feel over these three weeks. We're looking at a great teaching that's found from the beginning of the Bible till its end, called Union with Christ. Union with Christ. It's one of the great teachings of the Christian faith. By faith, when a man or woman, a boy or girl, rests their heart's hope in the person of Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches 
everything that is true of Christ by faith is now true of that person. And the second aspect I want us to look at this morning, which is equally mind-blowing, so we feel like that snake, mentally speaking, is that God comes to rest in our hearts. When you're united with Christ, when you're in him, when you have faith by God's spirit implanted into your heart, God sees you in the righteousness of his son and comes to dwell in you. That's enough to think about for half an hour. And we're going to use the passage from Romans 8 to think about that. But uh, before we, we get there, I want us to get our bearings. Here's some pictures that I've stolen from the superb Bible project. Romans 8 is uh, preceded by seven chapters. That's why you go to Bible college, to learn stuff like that. In chapters 1 to 4 of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, in his masterpiece, describes the gospel, describes the weight of God's glory in the gospel, and how all of humanity is under the curse of the law, and therefore under the condemnation of God. No one meets the uh, satisfaction of God by their own efforts, as much as we try to. And so we're guilty, and we're more guilty. That's in chapters 1 and into chapter 2. By the time we get to chapter 3, there's a remarkable clang of symbols that the gospel is displayed in all its glory, that we have a new identity in Jesus by faith in him. God has sent a rescuer called Jesus Christ, his son. We have a new status. We're part of a new redemption, a new family. And we have a new future with a transformed life. And that's only up to chapter 3. By the time we get up to chapter 5 through 8, where we find our passage at the end, a great repetitive drumbeat, a theme that the Apostle Paul wants us to hear is, you're either part, you're represented by Adam, or you're represented by the second Adam, who's Jesus Christ. You're either considered in Adam, you're, you're trusting in your own righteousness, which will fail, or you're trusting in the righteousness of Jesus, which satisfies God completely. There's a symbol in chapter 6, which is the symbol of baptism. It's a, you, you die to your old way of life, you're resurrected to new life in Christ. And by the time you get to chapter 8, there's this remarkable truth that we'll look at in chapters 8 through 1 through 11. We'd love to read the whole chapter, but we don't have time. That describes the truth that Christianity is not a religion, but it's a living relationship with the creator of the universe, made possible through his son, so that every Christian believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. That's just the first 11 verses. Look at sentence 11 with me, please. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead would also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. God comes. Here's the big egg. Here's why we need bigger minds this morning. And we need God's help. When God comes into a believer's life, he's not just visiting. He's not just a passing through. He takes up residence and there he remains. He's not just visiting you. We've had a, a lot of throughput through our house this week. It's been fun. We've had friends from America came for a meal on Wednesday. We've not seen them for six years. They came. We had a great catch-up, talked about Trump and why he's orange, and then they left. And then uh, we had some other friends and family. But if you look here in the first 11 verses, there's no passing through. God says, by my spirit, I will come and dwell with you. There I will remain. And that's a sign, a deposit, a guarantee that you, by faith, have been united to Christ. You're in him. God sees you in his son. 
as we saw last week, your past will always influence you, but it no longer defines you because you're a new person in Christ. And then we're introduced to the Holy Spirit because everything that is true of Jesus is made real to us through the relational glue that is the Holy Spirit. It's made true of Jesus Christ in our hearts because of his presence, his purposes and his work. There's a lot to think about, but let's start at the very beginning, as Sister Maria said, by looking at his presence. We're thinking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We've got six weeks in the autumn where we do this more slowly. Today we do it more quickly. Let's think about his presence, the person of the Holy Spirit and his presence. If you look down to sentence 8 to 11, there is a, sent- a phrase that's used interchangeably, synonymously. Sentence 8 to 11 of Romans 8. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature or the flesh, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. There's a phrase here that's used interchangeably. And so we can see sentence nine, by the spirit. Sentence nine again, spirit of God. Sentence nine again, spirit of Christ. Sentence 10, Christ. Sentence 11, spirit of him who raised Jesus. They're all the same thing. They're all interchangeable. So the Holy Spirit, his personhood, his nature, his presence is all intimately linked together. The Holy Spirit is not, as uh, Steven Spielberg once famously did in Indiana Jones, he's not a kind of a grey mist that hovers or green like Ghostbusters. He's he's not a, a ghostly figure or a whimsical mist that comes and goes. God sends his son into our hearts by the work of the Spirit. It's completely Trinitarian in its work. Look at what Paul is saying. The Spirit dwells in you. It's the same thing as saying the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, which is the same thing as saying the Spirit of God dwells in you and to say Christ dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit's work is to spotlight the person of Jesus Christ and to make him real to us and to make this truth stick to our hearts for all you DIY experts out there with some CT1 glue that is stronger than the substances it sticks together. That's the work of the Holy Spirit as he indwells in our hearts. And the Trinity is at work from creation uh, history, from eternity past, all the way through the creation narrative as the Spirit hovers over the darkness and the deep. And all the way through, the Spirit is the one who gives life, who makes the truth of God real to us, who enables Christ to dwell in our hearts. And God himself comes and lives not outside of you, but within you. Now that's mind-blowing. The Trinity, interchangeably, so to speak, is dwelling in your heart if you're a Christian this morning. Where do I get that for? When one comes, they all come. It's a bit like my son's friends. When one comes, they all come. There's a tribe that descends upon us. I get that from John 14. In John chapter 14, John says, 
The Spirit will come to you from the lips of Jesus. The Spirit will come to you. The Counselor will come to you. And then Jesus says this, My Father and I will come to you. So I'm not making this great truth up. The Father, Son and Spirit come and dwell in the heart by faith of every believer. God himself takes up residence in your heart because you're a new person. Now, no other religion makes this claim. I've said this to you before. No other religion is uh, as audacious. So Eastern religion, Eastern cultures have a conviction that God is not created, but he's an emanation. He's an emanation from creation, or creation is an emanation from him, one or, two, one or t'other. They believe in God is uh, in the universe and of the universe. He's not outside. You can go to Islam, you can go to Judaism, and they would say that God is a creator, but because he's so great, he's so transcendent, he's so all-powerful, he's so all-knowing, there's no way that he could so contract himself into a person's heart. That would be abhorrent in Judaism or in Islam. And a Christian says, yes. It's crazy to think about, but it's true because the Bible says it's so. God has made himself confined to a span. He was made into a virgin's womb. Supernatural creation in a virgin's womb. He, he grew into a man, divine and human, interchangeably. At the same time, 100 and 100% making 100%, you could say. And he died on the cross for the sins of the world. He was raised again by the authority of his Father. He now rules over all creation into eternity. And now he's chosen by his Spirit to dwell in our hearts for his glory's sake. The Holy Spirit is not just a force, grey mist, Steven Spielberg. He's not just a laser beam that has power alone. He's not kind of an extension of God. The Holy Spirit is completely God. He's a he. He's not called the Holy Ghost. He's a he. He's not a force. He's a he. And when he comes to live with you, there he remains of his own free will. So we had American friends that came and went on Wednesday and then they were quickly interchanged, me being such a people person, I enjoyed every moment this week, by uh, some of our extended family. Two hours later, after these great American friends came and went, our extended family came, some cousins came and they stayed with us for two days. Now, in God's kindness, our, our house is kind of large, but this is true that uh, when people come and stay with you, friends, family, relations, work colleagues, it changes everything. The orange juice goes down really quickly. The milk runs out all too soon. What you watch, they watch. What you eat, they eat. Where you go, you probably go with them. What you smell, they smell. What your guest does, you do. When people come and stay with you, it changes absolutely everything. And maybe if you're not so keen on your guest, we were keen on our guest this week, maybe you start saying, would you like to leave earlier? Or you start to look at your calendar and say, it is two nights, not three that you're staying. Maybe you think something like that. But this passage says, God the Father, God the Son, by his Spirit has come to dwell with you. They've come to live with you forever. You've been united by faith with your maker, with your transcendent or powerful creator, who has willingly constricted himself to dwell in your heart by his Spirit. Now, we can push this too far, but you'll get the analogy, I hope. That means, Christian friend, if God by his Spirit dwells in your heart, 
What you see, he sees. Where you go, he goes. What you read, he reads. How you speak, he hears. Now that can thrill you, but I hope it also challenges you. Because Romans 8 says, the Spirit of God is present in the heart of every believer. But what's his purpose? What's the point? This is the second point. What's his purpose? That was the family coming to stay, but an older picture perhaps. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit being sent into our hearts and minds? Look at sentence 10, please. Notice he's never called the Holy Spirit, but he's uh, referred to as the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. So this means that when you have become a Christian, you're born again. God, by his grace, makes you a new person. You have newness of life. But, just look at me for a worked example. I've been a Christian since I was 15. Although God is in my heart, your body does not stop deteriorating. Aging process still happens. Highlights come all too soon. Gravity becomes an increasing challenge. Bigger trousers need to be purchased and so on. When God comes into a Christian's life, when he makes a new home, it doesn't mean you stop deteriorating. It doesn't mean you stop aging. It doesn't mean you stop pick up diseases. It doesn't mean that you're not going to face the reality of death. But look at sentence 10. When you have the new birth, when the Spirit comes into your heart, it makes your soul alive. You're no longer under Adam's authority. You're now in Christ, in him. Sentence 10. Your spirit has become alive. You're dying on the outside in this shell but your spirit has become alive because of righteousness. I don't know how I got into this story, but I was telling our children this week uh, when I was working at a church in Crawley, when I was pastoring there, I had to go at a very short notice in the middle of the night. Ten minutes notice, got dressed really quickly uh, because someone was dying. And by the time I got there, the, the ambulance had worked as hard as they could. But uh, what remained were uh, evidence of their activity and sadly a man had died. Because of my profession, I've seen a number of people, number of bodies, number of shells, notice how I'm speaking, in hospitals where people have died. It's very interesting and noticeable when you see a dead body that it is just a shell. And here verse 10 says, this shell, this body, this 34-inch-ish waste is wasting away. These grey hairs are increasing, but my spirit has become alive because of righteousness. I'm new on the inside because of what God has done. So here's the compare and contrast. Paul is saying from verse 10, unrighteousness is what kills you. Unrighteousness is the source of deadness and decay. Unrighteousness is the source of hurt and numbness and hardness. But where sin blinds you, righteousness wakes you up. Righteousness makes you a new person. Righteousness makes you alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness makes things pop for the first time. Righteousness removes uh, spiritual scales from your eyes. There's this great photo. I just thought, that's the face. Righteousness makes you alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see spiritual realities that have always been there, but you've been blind to see them. It should be wow-making. It must be jaw-dropping. I use Jesus' name as a swear word, but now I adore him. 
I went to these places, now I'd rather never go there again. Suddenly, all these new realities pop in your experience. It's the work of the Spirit in your heart. He removes scales from your eyes. He gives you new affections, new sensitivities. Why? Verse 10. Because when you're united with Christ, that means you're a new person from the inside out. The, uh, the forces, the desires that were ruling in your heart and mind, that paralyzed you, that constricted you, that you thought you wanted to live for and die for, that filled your, uh, your time and your energies and commitments, they've been moved away. And now increasingly the Spirit of God goes to work of the home of your heart, the CPU of your experience, to say Christ is the only one where true satisfaction will be found. It says that in verse 5 to 7. Those who live according to the flesh, or the sinful nature, have their minds set on what the nature, the flesh, desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. What does the Spirit desire? What's his purpose? Three things. When the Spirit comes, he will glorify me, says John 14 to 16. We'll think about that next week. But the Holy Spirit comes into the, the heart of an unbeliever. They're transformed into a new person. And the Holy Spirit's chief aim is to take of mine and make it real to you, says Jesus. He does that in three ways. He's, he's like a spotlight. There are three options here. You can choose whether you uh, put yourself in goals in the, uh, the right-hand picture. You can choose whether you think of architecture in central London. You can choose if you're thinking about yourself at a show or a concert. J.I. Packer, in his book, Keeping in Step with the Spirit, uses this great analogy, great illustration. When you go to a, a sports or a, a music performance or you go and look at uh, a city by night, no one says, unless you're very strange, no one says, hey, look at that halogen bulb. That must be a new Philips halogen bulb. The light's so blue. What great technology. No one says that. Or if you do, you're missing the point. Everyone says, did you see the goal? Did you see the detail on that statue? Did you see the actor dancing and the way that dancer moved in the background? The Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself. His chief aim, his passion, is to show us the beauty of King Jesus. That's what he's all about. He says, don't listen to me. Look at him. See his glory. Listen to him. Hear the words of Jesus. Get to know him, not me, and that you'll have life. Get to know him. Taste his joy and peace. The Spirit's role is to bring us and Christ together. Increasingly new affections that say, I want to say no to my old way of life. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to pursue him. And the Spirit's heart, Spirit's passion is to, is, is to give us new affections so that we do that. We turn away from our old way of life, from death, and we turn to life. It's the Spirit's role. Thirdly, from verse 10 and 11 as well, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, someday in the future, to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in us. That's what's going to happen. That's the reality. And so death is no longer to be feared because of the reality of Jesus conquering death and the Spirit makes that real to us. 
But here's the final one. It's in sentence one. One of the jobs of the Spirit is to show us the reality of this wonderful sentence from sentence one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's to our great loss if we just say, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Because we rob Jesus' glory. We rob God of his purposes in his Son. There's no condemnation, not as a, just a banner statement on the back of our car. There's no condemnation because of the work of Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in him. If you're outside of him, there's the judgment and justice of God to fall upon us. But this is such an important verse for us because many of us have those uh, kind of daisy, a daisy theology. Remember that uh, thing you did as a kid where you would hold a flower, even if you're a guy, macho with your wife, uh, kind of white uh, vest on. You'd hold a daisy in the playground and you'd pick off one petal at a time and you'd say, she loves me, she loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. And depending on how many petals you got, you would end up, oh, the, the day's going to be great or I'm going to be in the pits. It's sorrow. He loves me, he loves me not. Very often we can take that and project that upon God's love for us. Depending on how we feel, our God-given emotions that are so powerful and prevalent in our hearts, we can have our theology, our understanding of God's love and affection and purposes for our lives based upon daisy theology. It's based on us, not on what he has said. This is what Jesus says in the gospel. It's not a case of I love you and I love you not. I Maybe I'll love you or maybe I won't. I love you. And I've shown you my love on the cross. How can you doubt how much I love you? When God tried to, God my father tried to persuade or dissuade me. The, the evil one tried to dissuade me on the evening before the cross. Is there anything that you would do? Is there any other way? I, I spoke to my father. Is there any other way? Take this cup away from me. And yet I went to the cross for you. How will I turn my back upon you now? There's no condemnation now because of Jesus, not us. Because we're found in him. Now this has big implications. The family image is important. The family comes and they go. Christ comes into our hearts by his spirit and he remains. This wonderful truth is too big for us, like the snakes trying to eat the egg. But it should mean this, Christian friend. I hope you will be uh, condemned, not by condemnation, but by mercy this morning. You should feel the weight of God's love for us in Christ this morning. I, we, should be freshly convicted about the sin in our own lives because we have this wonderful person dwelling in our hearts. And he sees it. And he reads it. And he knows our thoughts, and yet he's still in our hearts. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to kick us out. He's never going to condemn us. Because Jesus has said and shown, I would rather die than leave you. And no one else has ever said that, and no one else ever will. I'm going to crush you with all the powers of hell, says God the Father to God the Son. Do you love them that much? Will you do this for my glory and for their good? And Jesus Christ said, yes, I will. Yes, I do. And I will never leave them and I will never forsake them. 
That is why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Outside of him, there's darkness, there's justice from God's hand in the future. Inside of him, by faith, there's security and love and affection all for eternity because of him. Not my will, but yours be done, said Jesus, before he received his condemnation for all of our sins upon his shoulders. And think about it this way as we close. If God the Father was not able to break Jesus' grip upon us, he's not able to uh, break his love grasp upon us, what makes you think you can? There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, says the sentence. All that is Christ, all that is Christ is mine. All that is Christ is mine, but also Christ himself is mine, and I am his. That means there's no vacancy in our hearts, there's no passing through. God by his spirit comes, and there he remains. So let's uh, end with a kind of a diagnostic question. Christian friend, if you're here this morning, if you have a guest come into your life, if you're like me, like I did on Tuesday and then on Wednesday from 6.30 to 6.40, we tidied up twice really quickly because people were coming and it's best foot forward and all that stuff. You leave out a little bit of junk so you don't look completely OCD, but really it's best foot forward because we've got guests coming. Maybe you do that too. Christian friend, you have God living in your heart. So let's afresh look at our lives to say, is there anything as God lives in my heart by faith that I do, that I have, that I need to tidy up by his help? Is there any besetting sin that I need to ask afresh for God's forgiveness for and ask to go forward in his strength to put aside, to stop, to put away? Is there an accountability friendship that I need to, to ring up and say, can we pray together? I'm struggling with this afresh. You should uh, try to clean it up, not because you want to please God more, but because he dwells in you by his grace. All that is Christ is mine, but also Christ himself is mine by faith. And here's the remarkable truth. By faith, I am his. Let's pray.